Good evening, humans. Welcome to Carbide Content. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan, with or at Triaxis. Nailed it. I'm uh, David from Contraption Collection. And uh, that's it. Uh, I just got back from Blade Show. Um, some people were uh, wondering where Grant is. I don't think we've said that he got married and then went on a honeymoon. So I think maybe it's related to that. Still no Grant this episode. And then uh, Dalen, uh, I think, might be sick. I think uh, I got COVID my first Blade Show. I feel like I might have got sick as well this played show and my dad has COVID. So that's how it goes, I guess. Damn. All sorts of sicknesses. But, uh, I think, I think this, uh, this blade show was really cool and maybe it'll be good for me to talk about it. Uh, just with you because, uh, then Dalen can have time to talk about it next time he's on. Right. Um, uh, I went because I was a sponsor for the flipping contest um, for butterfly knives, and I was really impressed with that side of it. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, when I went to Atlanta, there was like a tent, and it was just kind of a big crowd, and I couldn't really see what was going on. I don't really remember for sure how they judged it or or how they did brackets or things, but um, this time it was like super, super professional, like you know, there, there were small mistakes or whatever, but there was like a, you know, a nice big conference room, a nice stage, you know, a bunch of seats for a crowd, um, you know, a whole bracket system and a ton of cameras. And, uh, it was just a really cool, cool atmosphere. And, and it seemed like everyone had a good time and, and, uh, it just, you know, exceeded my expectations in every way. Nice. Um, uh, Dalen actually was one of the judges for the flipping contest, so maybe he can have something to f- say about that. Um, I think uh, I also really appreciate like Lucas is such a great guy. Lucas from Squid Industries, you know, is kind of the main guy hosting uh, the event, and um, uh, you know, he just like thanked people at the end. He thanked all the people who worked on it, and even like thanked the parents who, you know, a lot of people. Or I don't know how many, but at least some of the contestants were probably under eighteen or, or at least youngish, and so needed help from their parents to get to the event. And uh, you know, it's just really cool that he was, you know, thought of thanking them as well for being supportive of a weird hobby involving knives. <laughs> right. So, uh, that's cool. Nice. Um, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, oh, I think you can li- watch the live stream of it on YouTube already um, as a VOD. Um, but uh, I brought my editor that I work with for my videos with me this trip. And so I think we're going to try to do a cool montage of the show. And I'm sure some of the the contest will be in that. Um, uh, but uh, I don't know. Maybe give me a second to gather my thoughts. Maybe you have any... Any questions about the Blade Show or the contest or anything? I didn't know your editor was an actual like person who lived near you or like was in the U.S. or whatever. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, he's uh, he's like forty five minutes away from me. Um, so you know we still have to kind of pass stuff online a fair bit, but we hang out. And uh, uh, yeah, I I really like I was just kind of 
when I went to the maker or the open source convention, um, I, I, I've just been really apprehensive of filming things because I don't, you know, I don't ever film other people in my videos. Um, but I had a lot of fun when I did start filming things at open source, but then realized trying to put together a video myself and with him, you know, maybe I should have filmed more things. And, mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted to see, you know, what his perspective would be on filming something like this. And, and he's, he's worked, um, this kind of thing. He's done lots of conventions and stuff, um, at previous, uh, stuff he's done. So, you know, he was totally willing to, you know, just, uh, go all over the place, try different things and, uh, you know, get different shots. And, and so I'm, I'm, uh, excited to see what the footage ends up looking like. Yeah. What, what's like an example of something he wanted to get filmed that you maybe didn't think about or wouldn't have thought about? Um, I mean, I was so like scatterbrained and, and, and like for a lot of reasons, I don't completely understand. I, I think this was the most stressful blade show I've been to, and I didn't even have a booth. Um, but I think part of that stress was I brought <clears throat> my girlfriend, who I've always brought, and then I also brought my brother. And I, I think part of the stress was just, you know, worrying if they were bored or whatever. And, and so they were running off doing different things, and I also was worried about keeping track of people. And so a lot of time, uh, my editor named Chuck, um, he was just filming stuff, like, and it might not have even been in the same part of the convention I'm in. And so... Um, I think he'll just get a do a better job of a lot of stuff that I would have thought of, but I, I also I don't even know yet because I haven't seen the footage yet. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll see, and um, I think, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a little more stressful for me this time, um, and I, I think it's also um, it's it, it's weird because like I'm I'm in a much better state than I've been in maybe almost through the entirety of this project, like <clears throat> I've, I've dealt with a lot of annoying failures or disappointments or delays. Um, but really, uh, before I went to Utah, I was like, I really want to see if I can get some scissors together that are made with Haas parts. And I've made some before, but they've been a little disappointing, but I've worked on a few tolerance things and understanding a few things that I think I made the first scissors where I truly feel like I could actually replicate them. Like if I made another pair of scissors and I did the same process and did the same tolerances, you know, it would actually cut the same and feel the same. The button would work the same. And so I was pretty jazzed about that. And, um, I was still nervous talking to people. Um, do you feel like, do you think you handle compliments well, John? Um, I think so. I kind of just, I don't know, I'm like, you know, you get compliments and then say thanks. And then, you know, I appreciate it all the time, but I don't, I kind of take them. Mm, I don't know. It's hard to choose how to say this but like not necessarily to heart i guess because sometimes compliments can be uh pretty involved i guess i don't know um yeah i guess i handle them pretty well i don't really think too much about them besides they're within that interaction i guess 
Yeah, I, I, I think I have a hard time dealing with compliments where I feel like just being like, thanks, and that's it is, isn't enough. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to, like, figure out how to go somewhere further with the conversation or, or try to compliment them back or, or uh, you know, with the scissor side of things, it's like, <clears throat> I love the compliments or, well, maybe I don't love the compliments because it makes me feel nervous, but um you know i appreciate the compliments but then you know there also still is the part of me who's self-critical and and like you know doesn't want to accept it or feels like i'm bragging if i'm accepting it or something um and uh and so i i feel like uh i feel like i talk to a lot more people who have you know make knives and do stuff than i have at other blade shows um and uh, one thing I really definitely want to bring up is there was a ton of love for the podcast, more than I expected. I, I don't, it seems like you guys might get more messages about the podcast than I do. Um, but when I was actually at the show in person, I got a lot of people saying they listen to the podcast and, and really enjoy it. And um, that, that was just really cool to hear. Um, I also think, uh, um, it, it's just, I, I feel like when people talk to me, there's almost a level of concern with a lot of people. Like they're, they're very almost concerned about me. And so I, I guess like I'm trying to reassure people that like, I'm okay. And, and like, uh, I've made mistakes and I've been a perfectionist or whatever, but I've, I've really, I'm, I'm not the same person I've been the entire journey. Like, I, I think I've, I've I've understood how to deal with perfectionism. I think I've I've solved a ton of problems or or maybe every problem I need to solve with the scissors now and and um you know I I can't just give people like uh, a satisfying thing to maybe make them believe me or, or or you know, I don't know, everyone has a way they would do things maybe different, but um you know, I, I really appreciate the, the feedback and the, and the compliments and stuff. And, and, um, you know, I'm really going to start trying to, to, uh, make bigger, bigger batches of scissors and sell them in bigger numbers. Yeah. I can see how, uh, the, you know, if the only thing, the only way you interacted with your story was by listening to the podcast, people would be like, this guy's struggling kind of thing, you know, cause it's like, so kind of in between, and, you know, you want to talk about problems on a podcast, not just, oh, yeah, everything's fine and dandy, because that's kind of boring, honestly, to uh, listen to. Yeah, it's so. it's so tricky. Like, it's it's more interesting to to talk about things or criticize things than just be like, here's all the things that just went good and didn't break. Um, but then on the on the video side of things, it's tricky because, like, I don't want to be deceptive but I like tend to try to kind of have happy endings to my videos. And mm-hmm. so I, I feel like there's kind of a weird impression because you can't press the button or cut this, you know, through the video. And so I think there's a kind of impression at the end of my videos where it's like, you know, Oh, they're perfect. They're all figured out. There's, you know, nothing that could be a problem or a potential problem or whatever. And then people also don't see like necessarily, if if they haven't watched every single video, they might not know that like I've sent you scissors, for example, and the other guys, and they don't necessarily see every single thing I've done and, and every single person I've gotten feedback from either. 
Yeah. I mean, there's also like the element of, and I, I get this, this is more of an in-person thing, but, oh, hey, this, this part is really cool or like the opposite. Like you've been struggling at this part and then I'll be like, I finally figured it out. That one part, it's perfect, whatever. And then, you know, the next, you know, three months goes by and you're like, yeah, I've been working on that part again. And people are like, well, I thought it was figured out. But there's a lot of like things in between. And then you learn more stuff. And then also, yeah, I figured it out at that point for that problem, that finish, whatever. And then, you know, time goes on and you're like, okay, I can do it better now. So you revisit it. So there's sometimes the time gap between things for watchers or listeners can be, I'm sure, jarring or confusing. And even family members with me personally, I'm like, I'm working on that thing. And they're like, weren't you just working on that, you know, a couple months ago? And it's like, well, yes, but, and then, you know, whatever improvement or thing I'm trying to do. So I can see how people that that happens. It's so hard because, like, even with with you, Dalen Grant, I can kind of pick on you guys for being perfectionists sometimes, because like it's it's so hard for me to tell like should they be working on this or should you know like like you know could they sell this level of finish on a blade or is it really worth you know trying to improve the you know we're always talking I mean there were people making jokes like that like you could turn to a random episode and we're talking about tumbling you just you know pick a random time spot and we'll be talking about tumbling. It's like hard milling and tumbling are just, are just tricky, tricky things that, you know, it's like, we think we figured out, but then for some other reason we have to change something and, you know, or, or we want to improve it. You know, we want to increase cycle time or something or decrease. Um, but yeah, it was, it was super cool talking to people. I, I hope, um, you know, I, I, I made some hats with my logo on it and, uh, I was going to wear them uh, or, or have my girlfriend and friends wear them, uh, but decided not to because, you know, I, I'm not some huge celebrity and not, I'm not some, you know, not everyone in the butterfly knife community or, or, or machinist knife maker community knows who I am. But I, I still I still do struggle with the social side of things. I still, you know, don't show my face in videos for the most part. And um, and so, you know, I hope nobody was was disappointed in any way uh by uh uh I don't know how nervous I was or or if they didn't get to see me I you know um so you know what I mean yeah you, I mean you can't always be the most optimal perfect every aspect of the whole thing so I'm sure people are just happy to see you in general yeah I mean I I think we all felt so burnt out I mean I I, I like Dalen had to deal with even more he uh you know the, the guy's running a booth having to actually talk to random strangers who you know maybe have never heard of you and are like wow this is neat and then you're like oh that's two hundred dollars or that's five hundred dollars and they're like well you know what's wrong with you mm-hmm. you know there's there's so many different interactions you might have and i'm i'm in this fortunate situation where i don't really think i had any negative interactions i i you know you could maybe say like on some tiny level people could be critical of me, but really they're just curious, like, you know, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And I, I think they just want to see me succeed, you know? Yeah. I think that's what really people want in general. And then, you know, the contrast between Dalen and the booth is he's random facing, you know, people, a lot of people are like, 
well, I don't know what this is, but if people actually know who you are, you know, they, there's a little more like they have an expectation. They know what you're about kind of thing. So it's not like, Oh, that's, that's weird. You're making scissors that are ballad songs. You don't get that random, uh, event from somebody who isn't interested kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll say, um, uh, I, I really thought that the venue was cool and, and I heard that Blade Show West, Utah, I heard it was like the smallest of the Blade Show conventions. Um, but I feel like it could have been slightly bigger than Texas. I, I really was surprised at how big it was, how many, especially like, not just the fact that it was like a big room with lots of booths, but that it was so many people I recognized mm-hmm. and knew like, um, yeah, I, I was, I thought that was super cool. Yeah, it was smallest than what, like uh, participants or size, like building size. I don't know. I just, I just heard that, like, obviously Atlanta's the biggest, and then I've heard Utah's the smallest. Yeah, um, like I, I, I thought maybe one of you guys had been to Utah a few years ago and and made it sound like a tiny room or something, but you know, it was a, it was a pretty decent sized convention. Um, uh. And uh, the fact that they're able to do stuff like the flipping contest or, or whatever and um, the butterfly knife community continues to just be this ever-growing thing that you see more of uh, taking over is, is cool. Yeah, super cool. I think there's something to be said for a smaller size convention. I'm sure by percentage it's not that much smaller than Atlanta, but even still, like sometimes a more personal feel, I guess. It- it's possible Atlanta is like quadruple the size or something, which is also cool. But yeah. um, it's definitely not so big that I um, like I would have been totally OK if my girlfriend or brother or whatever wanted to to just go find some museum or something else to do downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I think for the most part, they also liked checking stuff out and uh, and seeing all the weird Weird, you know. There's, there's obviously like a lot of you know normal folding knives, but there's interesting. Some guy who makes axes or some strange gadget, some contraptions for me to collect. Perfect. So, uh, um, and uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll think of more stuff. But uh, how was your week? Uh, it was good. It's what two weeks since last podcast, so. I've been waiting on this uh, Micro 100 profile tool, I think it's called, for the pivots on the lathe. So I'm still kind of dealing with that. So in the meantime, I was working on pivot screws. And the problem with the pivot screws is... What is the problem with them? They're on the mill. So basically, I do two at a time. And so like an op one from raw material and then... There's an op two, so it's kind of four at a time, but two get done every time you open the doors kind of thing. Yeah. And they're kind of hard to fixture because they're really tiny screws with a wide head. And yeah. I'm trying to, th- trying to think why on the... I think because it has to do with the the driver part of it. So it's got a T8 Torx head that's actually milled into it with like a one sixty fourth end mill is like the final Jeez. size. Yeah. So when I was setting or deciding how to make them, 
I guess I designed around the ability to mill the torques in and actually being able to make them on the lathe was kind of a second thought. So the last couple of weeks I was like, could I make these on the lathe? And you can broach T8 torques very easily. That's a very commonly done thing in industry. Yep. But I don't have the broaching tool and it's kind of expensive. Yeah, they're big. I, uh, I had Squid Industries make some little screws for me with T6 and uh, I think they broke the first broach that they tried to use and it's like $250 or something. Yeah, that's and that's not even the, the tool itself. And if you buy like a high quality the brooch holder or whatever. I don't know. They're, they were expensive. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and funny enough, I thought, I don't know why I thought this when I originally did the original design for the, the Torx or whatever, I thought it was Torx plus because I took a fastener off McMaster because you can get step files for everything off McMaster. And I copied that as the head and then just machined that essentially. Because I didn't, it was hard to find the actual standard, like whatever you call it, the diagram for Torx and copy that. So I thought that was the best way to do it. So this entire time, I was like, yeah, they're in my head, you know, Torx Plus. But if you actually look at it, they're just a regular, like T8 style with basically sharp corners, you know, air quote sharp. Yeah. And I was actually looking at them this last week as I was redoing some feeds and speed stuff. And I was like, these are not. Torx Plus, or <laughs> just regular Torx. So I was like, why did I think that they were Torx Plus? Anyways, so I actually went and grabbed a Torx Plus fastener from McMaster and then actually made them uh, Torx Plus, which, honestly, I don't know if they're correct to size T8 or uh, what do you call it? It's like IP8. Yeah, I don't know how you do this stuff like I, I, I'm like if you were an actual screw company, you wouldn't be just taking files off McMaster, um, because I, I feel like the Torx Plus versus Torx, like the smaller you go, the less I'm convinced like the actual geometry is different and correct. So the geometry is definitely different, but what what I'm talking about is like I have a T8 driver, so it's a torque, it's a regular Torx driver from like Weha. Yeah. And it's just like I use it as a control one, so I don't ship it. I don't use it for anything but checking the fitment of like how well it fits into the head after it's been milled, whatever. And then, you know, that's kind of like the control or whatever, the gauge pin, if you will. Um, I don't know if that's actually snugly fitting into the IP8, so the Torx Plus that I just milled is actually correct by the book uh, Torx Plus. I feel like if you took a Torx Plus driver and stuck that in there, it wouldn't fit. Like, I think it would be too tight because, you know, normal fasteners have slop in them. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is with me, or this design in general, is it's such a shallow T8 because of how short the flute length on the 164th end mill is for, like, the final actual cut, that they kind of cam out with any real sort of pressure. Um, yeah, and they roll the top shoulders over, which is extremely frustrating because of how it looks, you know, final product, whatever. So I have to make them really close to the driver size so they don't ham out. And that's okay to have, it's good to have control over that, but I don't know if somebody actually took down the road, 
lost the driver, needed to take it off, only had Torx Plus. They wouldn't be able to take it off because I just willy-nilly fit it to whatever was in the shop kind of thing. So, yeah, but, I don't really know. There is a standard, but the Torx Plus, at least finding the standard, seems to be like a well-guarded secret for some reason or whatever. I don't know why. I don't know if it's like patented or something, but it's it's kind of goofy. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I have a set of Weeha that's Torx, and then I have a set that's Torx Plus, and I, I put tape on them to differentiate them. And, like, at some point I stopped caring on, like, the small sizes. I mean, I, I should, like, try to see if I can feel a difference, but, it, you know, different quality screws, you know, maybe some of the tips could be more wearing more, but I don't I don't really do anything that aggressive. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. And then... I'm, I I don't know if I've talked about this, but I kind of want to make a special screw to hold the blades together in my scissors. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I talked about doing it with Dale, and, and I think for that, like we're just going to avoid Torx altogether and just drill like four holes in the head and then just make some kind of screwdriver that's just like four posts that go in the holes. Yeah, yeah, definitely could do that. If it's something you don't want your customers messing with, it it might be preferable. yeah. I kind of like, I feel like reviewers are pretty harsh on that kind of stuff. I don't know how much you guys care about that sort of aspect on it, but as far as like, you wouldn't sell a tool you could use to open it, would you? Uh, I mean, I guess eventually you probably should, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess if, if, if Dalen did a product like that, he does enough volume that maybe he'd have to, for me, you know, at least for a while, I'd probably be like, just, you know, something's wrong, just send them back to me and I'll try to fix it or whatever. Yeah. But I don't know yet. I, that's stuff I need to think about more. Hmm. Yeah. And then the last bit about these, these screws on the mill, I also took a 140 degree spot drill and started spotting before they get milled, the actual pattern. And it leaves just a nice, uh, dished out area before. So I think that'll also prevent uh, the shoulders from rolling over, which uh, I don't know. Some people may not like the look as much. I think they look better having that sort of like pre chamfer there. Right. It's only right. the diameter of the actual uh, outer corners. So, um, and then the Torx Plus, at, even at that size, is visually different. You can actually tell that it's a Torx Plus versus a T8 next to each other because the Torx Plus okay. has has like these much squarer outer shoulders kind of thing. Um, so there's a visual difference now that I've been staring at it for a while. And then yeah, the, yeah. Then no, the, I understand like the principle of how Torx Plus is supposed to uh, to be better. I just think that there's some sloppy screws or something out there. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. There's definitely a because a, a lot they. Range. I mean, a lot they probably don't even broach most. They probably just like press in or something. Like, how do you think yeah. they make most small torques? I feel like they're broached, but I, I really, I I have no idea, honestly. Yeah. Yep. Especially doing them at quality, and you know, usually hardware is it's just hardware. Who cares as long as the drivers fit, kind of thing. But in this realm, having them milled is well, well is speaking of the mcmaster importing and uh and those screws i had uh from squid industries made um 
I kind of messed up a little bit because I wasn't sure the shape if I want to match. So, so what I was having to make is like a female pivot screw type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I wanted the female head to be the same as like the regular screws that I buy. And so I imported that screw and, and got the sideways profile to like revolve the head shape. Yep. And uh, I guess I shouldn't have done that because like in McMaster, it kind of looks like there's a small flat and mm-hmm. like, you know, certain kind of curve to it, but I should have just done like basically as simple of curve as possible. Um, cause you can definitely see the difference. So I'm going to try to figure out how I can hide it the best I can. If this I use is those. a, this is a curve on the top of the fastener. Yeah. So like the, the screws I'm using are just like round headed screws. They're not the pan head. I might switch to the pan head and maybe they both look a little more similar together. So what's um, that button head done? Yeah, I I can't remember <clears throat> what the ones I usually get are, but it's like the default. Um, you know, it's a it, it it just seems like basically a smooth curve, and I should have looked at it more closely and not drawn what McMaster's model seems to have. Yeah, or maybe I it's think... just more noticeable because of like maybe if it was like if the screws he made me, maybe if they're just like a little sloppier but a little more polished, maybe it would kind of look the same. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think w- pan head is like it looks like a bullnose end mill with a h- big radius, and then yeah, pa- head pan head's a little small. thicker. I feel like yeah, um, but maybe I'll switch to pan head. But I might have to make my counterbores deeper for pan head or something, which uh, and I might have to shrink the diameter slightly too. So I, I think they look kind of worse, um, mm. but I'm not sure. Yeah, there's so many um, different head head styles. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I got to see I remember a couple of things I might talk about one is uh, I got to see um, Dalen's new pen which you know maybe we'll talk about more when he's back but uh, I was I was pretty uh, happy with it I thought it, it was great I can't believe like how fast he's being able to prototype it and, and have a few to sell at Blade Show mm-hmm. Um and so that's cool. And I got to meet his employees and hang out with them, uh, both at the show and a little after the show. And uh, they're super cool and and uh, uh, were really interesting and nice to meet. So that's cool nice. too. Um, and then I guess I'll briefly say like the things that maybe pushed it over the edge to sell scissors. Hopefully, is uh, one just. The usual, like trying to figure out tolerances with these like weird lobe holes and stuff, and and some experiments with you know assembling and disassembling lots of different scissors with lots of different combinations of parts. Um, but the other is like there's kind of this neck area where the you know um, the blades kind of have these two sections that go in where the Zen pin uh, screws would uh, you know bump into it that stops the scissors from you know, the handles from clacking into each other mm-hmm. and, uh, that neck area, um, it should be 0.365 if I, if everything was like magically perfect in the computer. Uh, but because everything needs a little bit of slop, a little bit of tolerance for, you know, it to actually move smoothly. Um, the neck actually needs to be bigger and kind of the bigger it is like the kind of essentially more intuitive it gets to press the button and 
the range that I can kind of grow that neck area is is way bigger than I thought it was. And so I, I made different blades. I tried putting like tape in that area on blades. I tried, you know, different simulations in fusion. And, um, oh, I think I talked to you maybe last week a little bit about this. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I figured out some stuff with that and, and kind of found where I think I want to aim for. And then the other thing was, um, and I saw Grant maybe is having a similar issue with this is, uh, uh, my, my handles are bending coming out of the machine, right? I mm-hmm. make these handle parts. There's four of them and they're warping coming out of the machine. And like, I've always known there's a little warp and I've always worried about the blade bend for so much, but for some reason it's just always been like, Oh, I'll just put these together and I got to solve this problem, but I should, you know, I should eventually address that. Oh, I got to do this, but I got to address that. Just the way things kind of screw together and kind of hide some of the warp mm-hmm. or take it out. Just like, blinded me to ever trying to like fix it and so the scissors i made for for blade show i was like you know what screw it i'm just gonna try bending these handles the same way that i uh um bend blades and i i made them i I was kind of aiming for flat but i ended up going like slightly past flat so now that they curve now they curve instead of curving in a way where they're kind of trying to go out like a banana peel or something. Mm-hmm. I, I got them so that they're bending, kind of pushing the blades together. Right. Mm, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I've been like trying to chase tenths with, uh, all these parts, you know, trying different parts in like half thou increments. And like, I don't know why I didn't just try this earlier. And, and it's not like a perfect solution. I don't think I should be, uh, bending them this way exactly because it does kind of put more tension on the blades in a way that makes them not pop open as fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but it was like very obviously like, Oh, you know, why am I not, why didn't I just like try this sooner? Why didn't I address this sooner? Um, it doesn't make sense to be, you know, chasing all these whole size things when obviously I'm having positional issues and, and causing weird forces and, tension on things and so it's it's just a bigger issue than i thought it was and it seems like um by solving it uh it'll it'll open up a lot more uh consistency and 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 ability to have have tolerances yeah uh, yeah or more usable tolerances yeah i mean like my my handles will have a, a bend in them so if they do have a you try for flat, but if they do have a bend in them, I'll actually have them like banana towards you for the op one. And then they get flipped over for op two. So they're kind of like when the knife is actually assembled like yours, it is wanting to squeeze towards the blade. And that seems to be the best. Whereas like the opposite, not squeezing the blade and kind of bowing downwards in the middle would cause them to kind of be crunchy, especially because they weren't really contacting the bearings, I guess. So, yeah, I think there is something to be said about having the bend go in a uh, more helpful direction. Yeah, versus exactly. the other way. But it does take like experimentation for sure. And there's definitely like a limit to how much bend you can have. And for mine, it's like fifteen thou across it is like as far as 
from one end to the other, you could have it lifted up in that that bend, I guess, if that makes any visual sense. Yeah. Which is pretty far, honestly, but it works because it gets fixtured and held down, machined in that way, and then you kind of use it to your advantage when you flip it over. No, I mean, I think that's how you smartly design things is, is you try to make things work to your advantage or, or you you recognize how things are in the real world and you know all this stuff seems so obvious now it's 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 kind of embarrassing to even like talk about it but like you just you know you can get just so hung up in the computer side of thing or you can go get so hung up on for me it's a lot of the other blade stuff the trying to get better at sharpening or trying to get better at bending those the right way or or the pocket thing i was doing so many different things that like you know, I just, you know, there's all these little things you just don't realize just adding a chamfer or something so that, you know, there's not a burr causing a problem or, or there's not some weird interference from using bullnose in mills. Um, yeah. There's, there's so many little things that, you know, you, you know, I've, I, I try so many things, you know, whiteboards, writing things down, but stuff just slips through. I, I, I bend some handles and then I forget about it. And then I, send a bunch of handles to anodizing, which I don't do that often. And then it's like, oh, they're anodized. If I bend them, it'll probably ruin the anodizing. Let me just see if I can, you know, make at least progress without messing these up. Yeah. And then I'm like, screw it. I don't care if it messes up the anodizing. And I try it and it didn't mess up the anodizing. Uh, you know, I tried to be careful, use aluminum and tape and stuff to not scratch up or crack the anodizing or something. But they ended up fine. And it's like, oh, you know. Now you I've, know. I, I, uh, you know, I'm willing to try so much goofy, dumb, silly stuff, uh, but I should have just tried this. Yeah, that's like, I just want to mention that the bend for the handles, that was all by mistake, and then I just learned to work it in that direction, yeah. so I definitely didn't design it that way, but in the future, like, that is something I would now consider having gone through those struggles, um, but, like, a good example of one of those things that nobody teaches you or tells you about is like I've been doing pamphers before like finishing a wall. So you actually cut the chamfer and then come and finish like the vertical wall that might be above or below the chamfer. And that right. causes or reduces the chance of a burr happening significantly, especially yeah. in like hard materials. So like, for example, on the pivots, they're in the lathe. And if you have like a tool come in, and finish up the weird pivot contour on the outside. I'll actually chamfer it first and then come in and do like finish to the the final dimension. And then there won't be a burr, which is kind of sweet. Um, but it depends on the material. Aluminum, you can kind of just the order of operations doesn't matter mu that much, it seems. But once you get into like titanium and hardened steels, it seems to really help doing chamfers first. No, and like. Yeah, the order you do things and, and the 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 way you do things, you're you're constantly figuring out. Like you can get two things that look almost identical, but one works way way better. And so, what's nice is if you make your own products um, on the buttons now. For so long, I've like, you know, been like, should I do it in two operations or one, or or more. And I started using the slitting saws uh, uh, to um, 
to get a better to get a better like distance from like the the bottom of a counterbore to the the bottom, I wanted it to be really super accurate. So I do the counterbore and slitting saw, you know, underneath it to cut it off to get it super accurate. Mm-hmm. But to do that, I leave like a small fin, right? Yep. Uh, and that fin needs to be removed. And so it's like, well, you know, do I try to face the bottom and just, you know, back to square one or I just pull it off and like sand it. And it's like, well, that sanding's adding inaccuracy and another thing I have to do. And I was like, wait, this is my own product. Like who cares? I just am going to use like a 16th inch end mill and just only mill like a one thou deep slot where that fin is on the other side and then leave mm-hmm. the critical areas machined where they were, you know? And yeah. so now there's like a tiny little slot that you'll never see cause it's on the bottom or, or it's at least very difficult to see. Uh, but now it's like, I have this completely, you know, hands-free process. I don't have to do any sanding. And it also, I know nothing's getting messed up and, and, and the features are made in the order and the way I wanted yeah, so you you basically did like a little, a really tiny counter bore essentially, so no burr gets held. It kind of just gets ripped off when the end mill comes around. No, no. So like my buttons have uh, two counter bores for two screws, and uh, you know the whole sh- the whole you know uh, oval shaped button, I guess we'll call it. You know, gets made in essentially one op. Mm-hmm. But there's a small fin, uh, so that you know the part doesn't just go flying off in the mill a uh, um a tab holding it you know yep and uh that tab is just straight down the middle of the part and for a while that tab went lengthwise across the part across the oval through mm-hmm. like underneath the counterbores and i just you know pick them off the machine and then just you know pull off the little tab material and then just give it a quick sand and it works and I don't lose too much actually or problems or, you know, and it tumbles and there's not anything too weird, but I still didn't like it. And so I just turned the tab 90 degrees and I saw if it worked and yep, it, it, the part still holds on, still stays in the machine. Uh, and then I just flip it over in a fixture clamp next to, uh, next to where it was, the part was made. And I just mill only where the tab was. And, uh, you know, it makes a small, tiny little, you know, I had it go a you know slightly below where the part would be, gotcha. just to make sure it gets it. Um, but now it's like, okay, the tab is definitely not going to be a problem in any way, even if I didn't mill it away at all. It's you know not going through the counterbores on the bottom anymore. Yeah. Um, or or you know across the holes. Mm-hmm. Um, this will make sense in a video. Maybe I should have. It <laughs> actually this for it, a video. It actually does make sense now that. You- explain it that way for for once usually i can't visualize anything <laughs> but like you know it's like when you make your own thing it's just you can kind of do stuff like that where you can be like uh you know i'm gonna add another tapped hole just to hold it through the fixture or something even though this tap hold isn't actually part of the part you know yeah or even add a tapped hole that later gets milled away perhaps mm-hmm. you know sometimes people have to do really wacky stuff to to be able to hold a complex part yeah Speaking of which, chamfers and and making your own design changes. I yep. this this pivot on the lathe was like I wanted to put a really small chamfer on the bottom side of the pivot, and then that way I would always have the old ones had burrs on them. You would come in with like an axial facing live tool, and 
middle of the actual weird contour on the pivot, and it would leave a burr both on the bottom and the top. The problem with it being on the bottom is when it sits against the handle, that burr is, you know, in the pocket or whatever, and uh, being annoying. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just throw a chamfer on it and then mill it with the lathe, like a live tool, essentially. So basically like how a three-axis mill would do it, if that helps to visualize it. And I could not get the tool to actually make the chamfer as like the same size as what was in fusion. And I could not figure out why it was like, it was rolling the edge over. And this was only like a five thou chamfer in fusion simulations. Good. Everything like the tool offsets are good. And I was going crazy trying to figure out what was wrong with this thing. It, it would cut a really wide chamfer almost actually touch the pivot, the pivot, um, you know, the, like the three sixteenths pivot, uh, what do you call it? The bore itself or the, the boss itself. Yeah. Yeah. So it ended up just being that I set the tool radius in the tool definition to like 60 thou and it was 30 thou. <laughs> it's like, but I chased my tail for, for multiple days. I wasn't spending my entire time on this one problem, but I was like, okay, I'll fix that when I finish these other things kind of thing. Right. To like, you know, it was really stupid. Another thing that was kind of annoying that it's such a small chamfer at five thou that if your tool width is any different, whether it's coming out of fusion or like a wear offset or a geometry offset, especially on the lathe is not set properly. It will cut really weird or really wide, like super noticeable. And these five flute three sixteenths, like 30 thou radius cutters that I'm getting for, from the, Maritool, I think uh, HCC makes them for for Maritool. I'm like looking at them. The shank is one eight seven five, and I'm milling everything. When you the shank width is one eight seven five on the website, it also lists the cutting diameter as one eight seven five. Well, it's definitely not one eight seven five. It's like one eight four. So you're talking mm. like three thou difference and. It's not a huge difference if you're roughing, but as far as like finishing goes, it's gigantic. So I'm sitting there wondering why is this, it visually and this is looks... a chamfer tool. No, it's a bullnose end mill. Oh, it's a bull. Okay. Rad. Yeah, and so I was like, I don't really want to, but I measured it with uh, Mike's, and it was like one eight four. Yeah. At the widest diameter, and I'm like, it's not even listed as cut like this, and. You know, when you really visually look at it, like milling something, you can tell that the shank is much wider than the actual cutting area. But I was like, that would be sort of helpful to have that have the actual right diameter listed. It just must be how they grind them or something. It has to be they have to be cut down like that. But so that was a, just another fun thing to solve because I mean, you could chase around that thou and a half, chasing around an actual wall thickness or something for a long time until you notice it kind of thing. But, you know, yeah, so many fun things. Um, with the chamfering stuff, I, I feel like uh, the the smaller chamfer I'm trying to make or tool I'm trying to use, like, the harder time I have with accuracy. So yeah. I've been using, like, a 332nd ball for chamfering... Um, just doing like an edge dipper of my weird lobed holes on, on my blades. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I've been having, uh, 
Well, so I I've, I think I talked about it probably a couple episodes. That like I'm I'm just really trying to not have taper when I hard mill them to size. Yeah. Uh, but all, all I was going to ask is like that doesn't solve that problem. But do you think maybe I should try doing the chamfer with this little ball, just the five thou chamfer, before I mill to the finish size? Yeah, absolutely. So on mine on the blades, if basically if I can, I will run like a deeper toolpath, and then I use like a one sixteenth for flute, just a ball end mill because that's I don't know convenient. Yeah, and I'll run like a like a three thou chamfer fillet, whatever you want, prior to finishing coming back, even coming back with the same tool that roughed it out but have that tool change in the middle that actually deburs that edge or whatever. And it's been super helpful as far as consistency, I guess, as far as parts go. And I'm kind of always amazed at how there have been really good parts, I feel like, that were ruined by chamfers or um, by burrs that yep. you don't really notice because unless you can look at them with a real, under a microscope or something, those burrs are usually so tiny and they can just, they won't let a gauge pin or something go through them. And so you're like, Oh, this part's bad, whatever. Or you'll get a weird crunchy feeling from just these really tiny micro burrs and doing that prior, you know, really small deburr basically, um, does alleviate that kind of stuff. So I would, I would recommend doing it. Yeah. I mean, and like, I mean, I, I definitely have done that in other situations, like maybe with bigger form tools or something or, or, if you uh, if you tap a hole, you should always like chamfer it at the top first, a little bit bigger than the size of the thread, um, so that the top thread isn't a weird mushed up, you know, mess mm -hmm. of sharp burrs. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I uh, I'm happy with the the progress I'm making on things, and uh, you know, you always wish things go faster, but um you know at least it's like feels like progress and isn't just like why did this thing suddenly today act differently than yesterday yeah which which is like the most annoying yep you, know. you left the bay door open too long that's why yeah so you uh you got your lathe lined up enough you're going to make more parts in it yep so i got the you could say op one part done with the pivots just before we hopped on here. Um, I just been, I used to just cut them the parts with the material I was going to use for the final part. So these are 17, four H 900. So I would actually prototype the, or like the setup with it, but I've been just using brass cause it's really cheap and the tools last forever kind of thing. So basically in brass, they're really nice. And tomorrow I'm going to do the transfer part to the subspindle, which we can count as like op two, which will probably take all day, honestly, because, you know, you can't just pop transfer code out of fusion. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Mm. So get that rolling in brass and then move on to actual production 17.4. And once those are good, I'm going to make a bunch of them. Yeah. Thing. But yeah, that's cool. Yep. How's uh? like the production level of finished knives going horrible. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm waiting on these pivots. Actually I'm out and, um, yeah, that's, that's basically it. Everything else has gone really good. And then 
like hard milling was pretty good the last couple of weeks. I have actually a bunch of done blades, which is surprising, I guess. And then like the actual, at least the first stage of going from like annealed bar material for the blades up to and to hard milling is like really, really consistent, I guess, as far as like the heat treat and then surface grinding. Like I'm really happy with how that's turning out. And then hard milling could always be improved, but I think that's a tool holder and just buying expensive tool to solve problem that I'm not at yet. So, Oh, I just remembered, uh, you know, we haven't talked about tumbling this episode, which, you know, we're legally required to do. Um, I don't think I mentioned I switched or I'm trying out dry tumbling media. Um, maybe I told you yourself, um, but, uh, yeah, it's it seems like it's going good. It's like quadruple the price of not dry media. Yeah, it's expensive. Uh, but it's uh I, I thought I was gonna get like walnut shells or something. Maybe maybe I did mention this on the podcast. But uh they're actually like pretty big, maybe too big, like seven eighths uh you know, some kind of weird conish type shape. And uh um but yeah, I've 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 kind of still haven't figured out a great solution to deal with like wastewater. And so this is an option for people who just can't deal with wastewater. Uh, and I was curious about it because I don't love the kind of sparkly finish that um tumbling can give. And I'm happy to say that this this does have like a slightly more uniform finish in a way that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, much, it's a little more much, subtle, but it's still it's still like a polish. It's still like reflective. Yeah. How much was it? Because you haven't mentioned. Um, like over five hundred dollars. Yeah, I just wanted to give pounds. people like a baseline of it because <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, damn, that's expensive. But so I'll uh, for the for the audience's sake, I will uh, try to keep it rolling and see how long it lasts to see if it's it's worth that much money. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, I was getting sick of, you know, taking a break from uh, tumbling and my water being gross and having to just let it evaporate or something. Yeah, I think everyone's sick of tumbling. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm liking it on both uh, the aluminum and the, the steel, what I got. And um, uh, I don't know, I guess I guess that's it. Um should we, is, should we wrap it up or is it more you wanted to talk no about? no i'm i'm good that's probably a a good good length i think uh, people will appreciate for... the length i'm sure <laughs> all right uh gonna avoid obvious jokes thanks for listening everybody yeah thanks good night bye, bye.